So that when we get, uh, I just wanted, besides the teaching, to remind everybody that, uh, have you noticed how when you get busy mulling on the thing, the problem that you're facing or the difficulty, have you noticed that there's no solution in that? Okay, so you get busy and focused on the problem, what, what happens? You, you miss stuff. You get busy with yourself. So there's a problem or a challenge, and then instead of getting busy with the challenge, we get busy with ourselves. That's what we do. And so instead of just uh, being aware of the fact that there's a challenge, we start feeling sorry for ourselves. And so the, cha- the challenge or the problem very quickly becomes not the challenge or the problem, it's my problem. And then I get busy with myself. And then what happens? Then I'm so busy with myself that I miss stuff. And when I miss things, I cause more problems. And then I feel more sorry for myself because don't blame me for making mistakes because I had a problem to start off with and I should have been receiving some, uh, I don't know. Encouragement. Compassion or... Yeah. So instead of feeling sorry for me, everybody's saying, well, now it's getting worse. No. When we get busy with ourselves, all the problems multiply. Have we noticed how that works? Okay, so just a reminder for the week. Okay, so little thing, I get busy with myself, then I'm the one that's not being treated fairly. I'm the one that's not being heard. I'm the one that's not being seen. And before long, Okay, that little problem became 20 problems and then uh, everything's worse. Okay, so can anybody here afford to just go like, oh, I'm weak, shame? Can we afford that? So does life stop when you feel weak? Life's not going to stop. It's like life speeds up. (laughs) (coughs) So whether you man up today or man up in two weeks' time, you're going to have to man up. Bottom line. Okay? Inevitably. It's like that. Um, <clears throat> so, so I just felt by the Spirit to remind everybody. Inevitably. Okay, so you might as well man up today. Because mm-hmm. otherwise you're just going to have to do it in two weeks' time. Or a month's time. Okay. That was, I don't know if, who, who that was for, maybe for me, but... Uh, So let's start reading from Romans chapter 3, verse 27. So last week we looked at justification. Okay, where's boasting then? So we we looked at justification. Today we are going to go through chapter 4 and we're going to focus on uh, faith in the text. So in the context of uh, Romans... Remember what he's doing. He's going to bring everything together in chapter 8. And uh, it looks like he's discussing the Jews and the Gentiles. He's discussing the gospel as um, preached by Abraham or to Abraham. And that the nations would be blessed in Abraham. So he's discussing the fact that the gospel is already preached to Abraham. And that it entailed that the Gentiles, the nations, would be uh, brought by God into covenant which means salvation. And um, we know that that was the main offense when it came to the Jews having to accept uh, Yahushua as the Messiah. 
because the whole message that the Gentiles was going to now share in the inheritance was not what they wanted, although it was confirmed all through time by the prophets, and they were very well aware of the fact, and this is not what they wanted. Um, we know there's a, the book of Romans are going to contain uh, some of the most comprehensive information regarding the covenants. Um, but have you noticed how the basic eternal truths that we have covered in the past, so we extensively explained and expounded on what grace is, biblical grace, what faith is, what righteousness is. Now, once those things have been uh, put in place, everywhere you read, you'll see that the entire Bible contains all the same truths. Okay, there's a pattern, uh, it's a governing pattern, uh, because uh, everything has to be done according to the way that God uh, determined it. So, I'm hoping that everybody is now noticing that in the book of Romans, at first glance it looks complicated, but if you just break it down into its most simplest form, you see that it's going to contain <coughs> the aspects of justification, faith, grace, Righteousness. That's where it's going to be. Glory. Glory is going to feature very uh, significantly. Because everything that is explained regarding the, the gospel always have to end in some way in glory. No matter how you approach the gospel. If you ever hear a gospel that doesn't contain judgment... Righteousness, justification, grace, faith, and glory, then that's not the gospel. Okay, so, let's start reading again. <clears throat> Where's boasting then? It is excluded by what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. So now last week we saw that there's a law of faith. Therefore we conclude that the man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Therefore we conclude. Okay, Paul is making a very important statement. Now we're going to read through this and I'm going to try my best not to explain stuff as we read through. But I want to pause here. Because before we carry on with chapter 4, Paul has only just begun explaining and expounding on how things work regarding the law, regarding grace, regarding the will of God. And right in the beginning of the conversation, he's going to make the statement that we've already arrived at an answer. Therefore, we conclude. What is conclusion? The end. So when somebody says, or something is concluded, it means you're not going to add something afterwards. Nothing else is going to develop or conclusion, end. So he says, end of chapter 3, it's the beginning of the letter, he says, we conclude. <laughs> He's basically saying to anybody that's ever going to read the, the, the letter, there's no debate. There's no discussion needed. 
this is the last, last word on the subject. Uh, if only humanity would listen and pay attention. We could have saved so much time. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he... I don't know about women. Didn't say anything. I'm just joking. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Now, can I ask the question right here now? Did God really become the God of the Gentiles only after Yahushua died and was resurrected and the new covenant was put in place according to the theology of the world? No. He was always the God of the Gentiles. Always. Exactly. Somehow... Christianity came up with the idea that he only became the God of the Gentiles after the advent of the New Covenant. Okay, he clearly says, okay. Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. What then shall we say? That Abraham our father is found according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has nothing to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also described the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not imputes sin. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. 
For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of faith, the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which, are, which do not exist or as though they did. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did past things. Who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able, able to perform. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. But also for us. <clears throat> it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Yahushua, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Okay, so he concludes what he has just said by making it clear that what was written, what was said, what was recorded regarding what God said to Abraham was not recorded just for his sake, but also for us. That's a very important statement as well. He's basically letting us know that we need to pay attention to, just, to what he just said because it was recorded for our benefit. So we're going to have a look at it today. Now, can you read Galatians for us? Yes. So... As far as possible, try and remember what was said here. The thought pattern was actually very simple, right? Very simple. <clears throat> okay, so we're going to read Galatians chapter 3. Mm. And then, because the two books witness to each other quite strongly, and then we're going to overlay the two. Um, just to add authority and witness. Okay, so we're going to do the same. We're going to read through the entire chapter uh, just to lay the groundwork. And then as we keep everything we've read in mind, we will start unpacking it. Okay, Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. 
O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Yahushua HaMashiach was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore he who, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Messiah has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Messiah Yahushua, that we might receive the spirit of the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet, if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Messiah. And this I say, that the law which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Messiah, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Yahushua HaMashiach, might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under God by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Messiah, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Messiah Yahushua. For as many of you as were baptized into Messiah have put on Messiah. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, 
for you are all one in Messiah Yahushua. And if you are Messiahs, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. <clears throat> right. Easy. Easy. So we don't need to do anything. <laughs> All right, okay. <clears throat> Very much so. And we, from where we're standing, we could easily say, <clears throat> we don't need to... Uh, we don't need to expound on it. We don't need to search out anything more. Because <coughs> we've been set free from the law. We've been saved by grace. Done deal. Because we're saved now. So what's the point? Because we have a tendency as people to find our way back to the law. Don't we? So that's why we minister this. Because <clears throat> on this journey, we want to see everyone coming to uh, freedom. But continuous freedom. Stability. Not wavering. There's one thing that causes the wavering. Without us identifying that it's the law, there's one thing that brings us to wavering. Somewhere in ourselves, somewhere in ourselves, we go back into self-righteousness, unrighteousness. So, up here somewhere, we continue to believe, oh, I'm righteous, I've been declared righteous by God, I'm justified. But somewhere in here, Condemnation. We start wavering, going back and forth. How does it manifest? In judging others? Feeling judged by others? Feeling closer to God and then further from God? That's how it manifests. It manifests, you know how the law consciousness manifests in us? When we get busy with self. It's easy. When we start looking for the answer somewhere in here. Have you noticed how it's not to be found, yet we keep looking? You'd think that after a few years we would come to the conclusion that there's no answers inside here. And yet, every time, where do I go look? I'm not saying that we don't take responsibility. In the knowledge of the Word of God, and by the Spirit that leads us into wisdom, there's answers, there's solutions. Mm. But it's always according to the Word of God and according to the leading of the Spirit. So if our eyes and our focus is on the truth of His plan, what He has declared what he has willed, there's answers. <clears throat> but what we do is we retract our sight, start looking 
inside. That's law. That is how we know. Still law consciousness. Okay? Okay. Anybody ever feel, it's like you wake up and you go like, oh, I haven't been doing things the way I'm supposed to. I'm definitely going to do it right because God expects me to do it right. So now all of a sudden I'm going to make a bigger effort. Law, right? Okay, we're also doing this kind of study not just for us. Because out there in the world, the confusion regarding what Paul so clearly explains is, uh, is astounding. Okay? The world, and especially the church out there, has no idea how to deal with the law and grace issue. The plan of God is obscured. Nobody understands the plan anymore. It sounds arrogant to say nobody understands the plan anymore. It's because the plan has been lost. They've changed the plan. They didn't like God's plan, so they changed it into something that, for some reason, they thought they'd like more, and now it's a mess. Didn't like God's plan, so we came up with our own, and now it's a mess. That's basically what it both says. So we also need to understand how this works so that we don't, by accident, come into agreement with someone on the way that they think it works. Okay. Do you want to start us off there? Okay. Back to Romans. Back to Romans. We'll see there's a, there's a state, there's statements made here. <clears throat> says that you, as a saved person, spirit world, can, can, can put aside grace, can cancel out grace. Each and every one of us has that right and ability. How? How do we do that? By going back to any form of the law. Okay, so what happens when we do that? It's like pressing the pause button on God's plan for your life. And then if we stay there long enough, then we decide to press the rewind button. <laughs> God uses the law to bring people to, to understand His plan. So, for most believers, there's believers out there that's been in church for 20 years, they still can't figure out if they should keep the Sabbath or not. It's a question I wrestled with. I was concerned. I was like, I'm not quite sure. Am I supposed to go to pick and pay or not? Should I wait till Monday? Is God really going to be disappointed because um, I really, I really needed that bar one. <laughs> and I know it's covetousness that drove me to sinning against God on a Sunday. I know that it is. Covetousness or gluttony? Both. <laughs> Plus foolishness. <laughs> But that bomb one was really good at the moment. So, you see. So now, okay. For anybody that's been walking with a road with the Lord before this ministry, I bet you there was a moment in time when you struggled with the idea, should I have done my shopping on the Saturday? And then you come across Seventh-day Adventist. 
And then you go, oh, good heavens, now I'm stuck on Fridays. I've got to do everything on a Friday evening before sunset. Okay? So everyone knows about that. Okay, and then it gets worse. Okay, has anybody in the room had to struggle with the thing of, do I eat pork or not? Does God or still... prawns, for that matter. Hey, I struggled with this. Does, it says so many times. I mean, so I had to go like, and, and I was concerned. I was like, Lord, bacon. is this a transgression? Because I can do without pork. So yeah, now you're walking, now I'm not sure yet, I'm walking past the meat section and someone's buying pork and I'm going, shame on you, I haven't even decided on the issue yet, and I'm going like, how could you? (laughs) Until I get to the spur. Then I pretend like I've never heard anything about pork, because those parents are good. So, okay, so the truth of the matter is, out there, people are struggling with this, and for a good reason. Because if you don't understand the book of Romans, the book of Galatians, and you don't understand the plan. So the book of Romans is literally one of the main sources where God reveals His plan. He confirms the plan, how it works. That's why it's important we do such a study. Okay, now, maybe I think just to be safe, just to be safe, because I'm not quite sure, I'm just not going to eat pork then. What's the big deal? You know? Is anybody at the place with the study where you can see the danger in that? So I'm thinking just to be safe. Just in case. Just in case. Just in case God still doesn't like pork. I'm just going to not eat it. You know, there was a time when I contemplated the idea of superstition. And I wasn't sure if I was superstitious or not. But I figured, let's just rather not take the chance. So if there was a ladder... Not because I was superstitious, but just like for in case, I would rather walk around. Because, I don't know, like I was undecided, but just for in case. Exactly. Like, you rather s- don't book No, it's like you, you pause like and just, you go like, should I, should I not? If no? I have the option to <clears throat> av- avoid negative So to prove, responses, to, to just prove to yourself that you're not superstitious, you walk underneath the ladder. And then and you kind of freak out like, a little bit. I hope nothing bit. happens to me. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, I was confident two seconds ago. Okay, so, so it's, part of, it's like something in us, right? And, and, and so, so, you know, we don't even realize that the Bible says it is very dangerous to do that. Very dangerous. So we need clarity on the subject. Clarity. Okay? Because, okay, say you're willing to take the risk. Just somewhere in your heart, you're hiding the doubt that maybe, you know, I know people say, I believe in grace, and I am in Messiah, but I'm still not sure about the pork thing, so quietly I'm just going to avoid it. Okay? Not only are you putting yourself at risk, you're putting the entire body at risk. 
this is why we're doing this study. Okay, so have, let's have a look at this. You take us through that. Okay, I'm going to read from verse 1 again, but we're not going to stop with every verse. We're going to stop with thoughts. Okay, what then shall we say that Abraham, how, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Just a note in there. We said last week that Paul uses uh, questions and then answers the questions so that they can understand his thought pattern and what he's trying to explain. And we said that we are going to um, adopt the same mechanism. So, in verse 3, it says, Abraham believed God. Before we go there, just an explanation on that, because she's about now to ask a question. Yes, I am. Yes, Obviously. she is. Okay, <laughs> so please, everybody pay attention. We're adopting the same strategy. Paul asks questions. He's not asking the question because he didn't know. He's not asking the Romans, please send me a WhatsApp and help me out here. Right? Okay. So, please, it's rhetorical. When we ask to do the rest of this study, we ask questions, it's rhetorical. So we're not asking you to answer. It's not because she's not going to ask because she doesn't know. Okay, so just for the sake of uh, keeping clarity, we're going to do it like that. Okay, now you can ask the question. Okay, so verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now we want to pose the question. What did Abraham believe? Says Abraham believed God. What did he believe? Now take a few minutes. Don't answer. Don't tell your neighbor. Take a few minutes. Actively think about the question. It says, Abraham believed God. What did he believe? Yes. Because remember... Out there in the world, everybody will give you the same answer. Well, you have to believe in Jesus. What does that mean? No one knows, but that's the answer. Think about, you ask any church person, what do you have to believe? Well, you have to believe in Jesus. And that's it. Ask that same person what the doctrine of Messiah is, and there's no way they're going to be able to answer you. Ask a person out there, any person, any pastor, what the word Christ, or the name Christ means, and they'll say, anointed one. <laughs> what does that mean? This is the problem. You see why we have to really do a study about these things. Okay, so the question. What is it that Abraham believed? Carry on. Okay. Verse 4. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. 
Okay, so... Wait, read it again. Everybody, it's very important. This is this the explanation of what we just did. It's a very simple teaching today. But it will be key to correcting all our thoughts, all our attitudes. To stay in freedom. Key. Read it again. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Four verse four, Romans four verse four. Okay. <clears throat> so, like I said earlier, many believers run the risk of veering back into a works mindset, where we are no strangers to this dynamic. This verse says that the moment any person goes into works, grace is no more. So you pause grace. Now you implement a system of wages and debt. So I start working, good works, bad works, either way. And it does not even have to be in the sense that I did a good thing so God should bless me in this specific way. It has to be, it, it could be the slightest thought of, I am doing something, good or bad, and God should notice or acknowledge. That's, it's as easy as that. I don't even have to tell him directly. I just, I'm going to be at home and I'm going like, I really wanted to go buy toilet paper, but I'm not going to do it. I'm walking around thinking, I won. Hmm. Overcame temptation. I'll wait until Monday. And then I'll go buy some new socks as well. But I'm not going to the shop. What just happened? I hope God noticed how well I did this weekend. And I can't wait till next week to see what my reward will be. This could even be true for the negative, and I'm sure we all also know about that. So not hoping that in any way a curse is waiting for you, but just like I didn't do so well, so I'm expecting things to not work out so well during the next week, probably. So it can go both ways. But so just looking at the verse, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. You see, what starts happening is we expect God to start balancing the books. So I'm doing a certain amount of good things. Yes, there are some bad things, but he should balance the books and then, you know, I should be rewarded for the good things I'm doing. The problem is, once a person starts implementing that dynamic, that mechanism, it is only fair That if God is going to owe me for what I've done, then I'm also indebted to Him for what He's done. Because it can't just be a one-way mechanism. And so now I'm going to have to start taking into account, the books are going to have to show what I didn't do that I was supposed to do, what He did that I didn't notice, all of those different dynamics that we know of. And the books are going to start balancing. Now, who is indebted to who? 
and see grace is completely out of the window, out of the door. And obviously we're in danger then because none of us are justified by works and we know that we cannot fulfill. So I come with my little IOU note to God. <laughs> says, you owe me. And he goes like, <clears throat> Michael, will you bring the binder? <laughs> so it doesn't make sense. Does it just make sense? This is how we set grace aside. <clears throat> so I have received all good things by grace from him up until now. And then I decide by a few good acts, good works, I should um, be entitled to more. Is, is the penny dropping? Okay, so it's not always the active way that we participate in this. It's the inactive way. So mm. Somewhere in our subconscious, somewhere we think, oh, I did something wrong, or I thought something wrong. I don't want things to go wrong. I don't want uh, to activate negative stuff through my wrong actions. So, you know, I have to actively say sorry about that thing. Now, I'm not saying don't repent of wrong things. But the mindset behind it, we've got to get rid of completely. We've got to weed it out. It's not supposed to be there at all. So I'm blessed because I'm his son according to his perfect will and he loves me. So any church that teaches tithing is transgressing directly against the scripture. If tithing is mentioned as a doctrine, they are not a Bible adherent church. They're transgressing. They are leading their entire congregation into a form of works because the tithing principle says if you are faithful with the little that God has given you, then He'll give you more. And if you keep on tithing, then He's going to open. They misuse Malachi completely. And then He's going to bless you. And if you don't, oh, beware. The blessings are going to dry up. That doesn't, it's not biblical. Okay, that might be in the Satan, the, the, that Satan Bible they've got. It might be in there. I'm pretty sure it is. Okay, so please be aware of that. Okay, let's continue. Okay, verse 5. <clears throat> so everyone's clear on verse 4. We're good. Okay. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Okay, so to start even looking at this verse, we're going to have to fully apply full measures. So full measures is a building block that most of us know. When reading any part of the Word of God, we are going to apply full measures to every statement made, to every truth. So, for instance, righteousness. If I'm 99% righteous, I am still unrighteous. So if I'm going to read righteous, then it is a 100% righteous measure. There's no such thing as only halfway there. Okay. So if we apply full measures to this verse, it says, but to him who does not work. Does not work most of the time. Okay, see where I'm going. But to him who does not work at all, ever, but believes completely 
all the time, for ever and ever, believes on him who justifies, so justification now, full measure, justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Do you want to... Does that that in any way cause a a problem in here trying to grab on to the concept of no work? Mm -hmm. Fully believing. Because I'm still supposed to read my Bible, right? Still supposed to worship, still supposed to do good works, look after the orphans and the widows. widows and, um, And yet, he says, no work. Hard to understand. Is it easy for anybody to understand? Put up your hand if it's easy, because then you don't understand. Anybody that, that's really looking at the truth of this is going to realize it's not easy to understand. Okay? Continue. Okay, but would you just do that? Okay. Actually, before you do that, let's read verse 5, 6, 7, and 8, and then explain it together. Okay, so now I'm just going to read this little paragraph, the unit, because then we're going to explain it as a unit, and it'll make much more sense. Okay, so from verse 5 to verse 8. But to him who does not work, <coughs> but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Go to the psalm. psalm. Let's go to the psalm. Psalm 32. From verse 1, we're going to read the whole psalm. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. 
You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs, songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Okay, pause. What is that? What is the bit and the bridle that he's referring to regarding the horse and the donkey? The law. This psalm that he is referring to is a perfect explanation. If you wanted someone to explain what Paul is writing about in <laughs> Romans, just go asking David. He's explaining it already. <laughs> It's a perfect explanation of chapter 4 of Romans and the book of Galatians. How beautiful is that? <clears throat> now, blessed is he whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute inequity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So he's now pointing us towards that there's such a man, such a person, who from God's side God will not impute his sin. Then he goes, and in whose spirit there's no deceit. But such a man, from God's side, according to God's will, God has decided not to impute sin to such a man. But the man, because of the deceit in the spirit, might decide, although God will not impute sin, the man himself, he might decide to carry his own burdens, to walk around with his own guilt, his own, the weight of his own life. And then he describes what happens when for a week or a day or a month or a season you decide, despite the fact that God, who justifies through faith, by faith, according to grace, God, the one who justifies, despite the fact the man decides, <clears throat> well, I'm just going to walk around with the burden a little bit. I'm going to walk around with my sin consciousness or my concern. And I'm going to walk around with it myself. I'm going to carry my burden a little bit. And I'm probably going to impress God by, with it because... Um, Huh? I'll carry it. And then let's see what King David says. What's the result of that? When I kept silent, my bones grew old. Anybody experienced that this year? At any given moment? No one here. Okay, so what he said, when he was keeping quiet in himself about the things that were draining him, it got worse. So he was getting up every morning, it's effort, and then carrying through the day. Instead of just going, Lord, you are the one that, that, that refuses, refuses to blame me for my mistakes and judge me for my unrighteousness. You're the one who decided that you will justify me and give me the faith to respond to you. And what happens? The burden lifts. 
So remember this. Okay. So beautifully put. It says, <clears throat> Through my groaning all the day long, ah, all that complaining. <clears throat> Have you noticed when you start complaining, everything gets worse? <clears throat> now, it's lovely in the beginning. Everything was going great. Then there was a little problem. Things started getting worse. So now I decide to reach out, phone a friend. Because <laughs> that's what friends are for, isn't it? So I go like, oh, it's uh, hard. You know. I just, she I just can't, oh, can't do this anymore. It's enough. <laughs> and we complain to the friend. Now the first time is great. After a while you're going like, why are they not answering their phones? Okay, so okay, so the groaning and the complaining, it makes things worse. Okay, so now, I started off with friends, and I was comfortable. A problem caused me to moan and complain and groan. Now, I feel rejection as well. So I'm going like, I'm not quite sure if my friends like me, and I don't understand why. Okay? Okay, so... Through my groaning all the day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. And my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Okay. So, keep that in mind. Then he's going to carry on. About how God becomes his deliverance uh, from God's side. Now the provision of God's grace. The perfect will of his uh, response toward those whom he has decided. He has decided. He will not impute their sin. There's a response from God. Everything lifts and uh, God starts making a way. Okay. Are we going to do... Yes. That, yes okay. okay. So back to Romans. <clears throat> so let's just focus for a moment. The thing, this thought pattern, this piece, anchors itself actually in verse 8. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. And now, I'd like us to just take a moment and lift out everywhere from verse, starts in verse 6 to verse 9. Uh, notice the word blessed or blessedness. It says, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Then verse 9, does this blessedness then come upon Okay, so why blessing? Why is blessing such a, such a big part of this? Such a big um, part of understanding what he's saying. So again, it anchors itself in verse 8. It says, Blessed is the man to whom the, the Lord shall not impute sin. So practically, academically, if we just think about what this means. To whom the Lord shall not impute sin 
So like he just said, this is God looking at a man, refusing, refusing to let him take the blame for what he has done wrong. He shall not impute his sin to him. So in God's eyes, this man has never sinned. Shall not impute sin. So what is the outworking of this? If God refuses to impute sin, what, what is the outworking? What does this mean? Why is, it, why is the man blessed? Because we, if we think about it just sort of academically, the law of God was put into place and we know that there's the dynamic of blessings and curses. And we know that angels and powers and principalities have been put in place as administers of the law. So when a man sins, there are administrators that will administer the curse side of the law. Okay. But if no sin is ever imputed to a certain man, can he be cursed in any way? Can there be any negative dynamic in his life if no sin is ever imputed to him? So he is perpetually blessed. Now it's no longer a case of this blessing or that blessing. He is blessed. So when Paul now writes, does this blessedness, he's not talking about does this blessing, does this blessedness, this is a state of being. Because if no sin is ever imputed, there can only be a state of blessedness. Blessed. You're blessed. No sin, you're blessed. Exactly. And now, I want to connect a few thoughts here. Let that word blessedness, this blessedness, does this blessedness come on the circumcised only? No. And the uncircumcised also. This blessedness. So you see, it's a concept on its own. It's a truth that is, is being defined. This blessedness. So we're going to try and expand on what is, what is this blessedness. So we understand that sin is not imputed. So it's an absence of something. But what is this blessedness? Now, in verse 9, he says... Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. So now he's referring back to Abraham. Blessing and Abraham. We know those two go together quite well. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 12 when the Lord calls Abraham. And we'll read verse 1, 2, and 3. And look at it as a whole. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be 
blessed. And now, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. It's just one verse, but chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, Yahushua HaMashiach, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Messiah. Okay, so this starts, first of all, it's taking us in a direction where we're going to not redefine, but have another look at who Abraham was. But before we go, okay, let's skip ahead to verse 13. It says, For the promise... For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. Oh, sorry. I'm in, back in Romans. I'm sorry. I should have said. I'm, I, okay. Back in Romans, chapter 4. One Bible from Genesis to Revelation. <laughs> when one spirit, you guys should know where I'm. Okay. Chapter 4, verse 13. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law but through the righteousness of faith. Okay, now why did we link this? this? This doesn't have the word blessing or blessedness or bless in it. The reason we're linking it is because of something weird that Paul says. He says, for the promise that he would be the heir of the world. Now, I mean, I'm not that fluent in the Old Testament as I am in the New Testament, but I don't know of a scripture except this one where it is said that God promised to Abraham that he would inherit the world. Like I know it says that he would inherit a certain piece of land, the promised land, but the world, like, what? That's a bit dramatic. It's an interesting statement Paul is making here. It says the promise that he would inherit the world. Think, is there anywhere where this is said? Explicitly by God to Abraham. Does that mean that he is going to inherit the world? Apparently. <laughs> okay, now go back to where you were. We'll we'll link all of this just now. Okay. <coughs> so here's where I'm going. I'm not going to complicate this because I want you all to see this. In Ephesians, it says, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in Messiah. Blessedness in Messiah. The crux is not that we read that and we go, oh, I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. The crux of that verse is in Messiah. If I'm in Messiah, then no curse, perpetual blessing. Okay, state of blessedness in Messiah. In Genesis chapter 12, the last Peace says, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In Abraham. In Abraham? Now I'm wondering, should we just explain that or should we read through the rest of it? Okay, go, go for that. Just go for just that. that. Okay. So. <clears throat> blessing 
in Messiah. Now it says, verse 13, For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So, if we see that we see this connection, we see this parallel between blessing being in Messiah, but then God promising to Abraham that in Abraham there will be blessing. What I'm getting to, and I'm just going to say it out straight, is that while Abraham is walking the earth, he is a representative of Messiah. He is a representative of one man, because in him he carries the seed. Imagine just, but just like for a moment, think about the weight of this. Imagine being the only man on earth who has faith. The only man on earth who knows God. And all these promises that are made to you are made because you are a representative of Messiah. Imagine walking around with that knowledge, knowing that you are representing one man as one man. Are you guys seeing how big this is? So, we are all baptized into Messiah. Right? So, in Ephesians says, we were raised together with Him. So, what that scripture says, when He comes out of the grave, when the stone is rolled away, <coughs> and He is resurrected, says that we were resurrected together with Him. Not, you're, you're going to get saved later, but you had to be raised with Him. Okay, so, think about it logically. So, Every time somebody gets saved, they have to now be resurrected into him. So it could be an ongoing, he's busy. Busy guy. No, no time for himself. Every time he just thinks he's going to get something from the fridge, another person gets saved. It's like, okay, saved fridge. in me. Okay, I'm so hungry. Fridge, no, another person gets saved. Okay, that is the way that the world thinks this thing works. Every time somebody, I got saved, and, uh, the, the Baptist chapel... 2003 and uh, no we were all raised together with Messiah and then that spread out over time but his work is done right okay so now everybody that's ever going to be saved till the end of time from the moment that he's raised has to be raised with him and then they'll get saved on earth later okay so everybody's in Messiah right so in Messiah so we know, ooh, that's the worst circle ever. Okay, let's try again. That one is much better. Um, so, in Messiah. So, okay, this is how it works. We are all in Him. Do you, uh, Elijah, have any cells, you know, a soul that makes up your body? Do you have any cells that you left at home today? Dead. Be... dead. The key okay. word there being dead. Dead. So dead. Okay. So so you get home and there on the bed there's a little cell crying. 
I'm dying. I'm so glad you're back, Daddy. I was all alone, no cells. When I woke up this morning, you were gone. And you're like, okay, sorry, it was a mistake on my part. Get back in your cell. <laughs> or maybe that cell was annoying you last night and you went like, you staying behind. You're not coming to church with me. I'll see you when I get back. Maybe. Okay. <clears throat> so the concept, the concept of us being in Messiah is not that difficult to understand, right? Okay. So, in the end of time, we are in Him. Only those that are in Him will be saved. Okay, but backtrack to Abraham. Messiah is in Abraham. We are still all in Messiah. Because He has to create man from His finished work. Otherwise, it was just a head in the beginning that created man. And if He created man in His image and He was just a head, then... Adam and Eve were just naked heads. <laughs> yeah. I would also be shocked and hired then if I were them. They were rolling around in the garden. <laughs> Using their ears to get around. <laughs> okay. Waiting patiently for when the last person gets saved, then finally, body. Does that make sense? Okay. Yet, okay, that's uh, for some reason, that's, nobody thinks about this stuff. It's like, okay, so can we agree we are all in Messiah from the moment that He created? We had to be in Him, and then in time that would unfold. But now, this is it. So we're all in Messiah, and Messiah is in Abraham. Abraham is in Messiah. They're both. Okay, so, 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 okay, so, we, how easy is this? Okay, so Abraham is in Messiah in eternity. Okay? Messiah, at this point, is in Abraham. But all of us are in Messiah. What does this make Abraham? Yes. Significant. So we started off this teaching by asking the question, Romans chapter 4 verse 3, Abraham believed God. What did Abraham believe? What did Abraham actually have to believe? He had to believe in coming Messiah. The finished word. promise. Not only that. He had to believe and understand in Messiah. He had to believe that we would all be reconciled in one man, in Messiah. And he had to understand that this was what God was calling him to be the forerunner of. He had to live his life according to the plan of God because he had to, if, if he believed the plan of God, he had to, by necessity, live according to the plan of God. If you understand the plan of God in totality, 
why no part of you would want to go and live outside of that plan. Right. Noah, and Noah was also happy. And Sometimes during Abraham's life, he must have had a revelation of who Messiah was, and that God was going to send the Messiah through his seed. Although he'd never, he'd never met, would never heard about Messiah, maybe, but he must have had a revelation through God about the coming Messiah at some stage in his walk with uh, Yahweh. Did you know this before? No, it's a, it's a Holy Spirit moment. Hebrews <laughs> eleven. See, that's why everything that we do in this ministry is about the plan. People look at this book and they see the Bible, a book of instruction or a book of uh, correction or maybe a historic story. This is the plan, God revealing His plan. But now the plan, you see, now you had a Holy Spirit moment that says, but Abraham had to be, have a revelation of this. That's exactly why we're teaching the way we do it. Because that was, that's the plan. That's what's being revealed in you. Can you show him that what he just said is actually confirmed in the Word? And then can you also show him that Moses also saw the day of the Lord? Listen to this. This is, this is what we're saying. How did the world lose God's plan? How did, the, how, did we, how did we not know this stuff? It's actually written right there. Listen to this. Okay, this is Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read from verse 8. This is Abraham. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Gary, did you see that? He waited for a city. Which has Jerusalem is not even a thought yet. Mm. And he's looking at the city, waiting for a city. Now read the rest. Listen to this. Uh, I'm going to skip to verse 17. Do that as oh, well. do you want to yeah. read? Okay, from verse 13 then. Or do you mean that? That or that? Uh, that. Yeah, that. Okay, from verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Listen, they're talking about all the... People that we see in the Bible. Moses, Abraham, Abel, Enoch. Read that again, last piece. What did they confess? What did they see? What did they understand? These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. 
Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Okay, Elijah, are you listening? Are you getting what we're saying? We're saying that everybody that you read, the, the people that in chapter 11 of Hebrews, they are named as the representatives of faith. It says that all these are considered to having had faith because they did not want to return to the country that they came from, but they were looking forward to a heavenly country. We, the, the country they came from is no longer Egypt. It's planet Earth. Planet Earth. And what faith is now defined as is that God revealed to them so the requirement of faith is understanding that all of us have been predestined, pre-chosen by God and He will not impute sin to us because He had prepared a place for us in Messiah in the heavenly city, a homeland. And it says here, they all saw it and understood it. Uh, read that Moses saw the Lord, the day of the Lord. Uh, back in Hebrews. Hebrews from verse 24, chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 from verse 24. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Messiah greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Do you see that in context to all of these statements, the word by faith, by faith, by faith, this is what faith is. Okay, so, Gary, I just wanted to, are you seeing that faith is redefined, something else than we always thought? Faith is responding to that which already exists and is now being revealed to me. So I'm standing over here and what God is showing me is that He will not impute sin to me. So how do I respond to that? So all the context of, uh, He had to do a whole lot of things to save me. But if you could take it together in one moment, if my understanding was such that God could just show me, in a moment, He goes like, if He could just show me and impress on me, Mone, I'm not going to impute your sin to you. Stop trying. I would be standing there going, okay, what now? Then. Because if He had decided... Before, before I was born, that he was not going to impute sin to me. When I'm surrounded by 7 billion people and 6 billion of them, he is going to impute sin to. He is. But me, he's decided before time he's not going to impute sin to me. He refuses, he will not. I'm going to be stuck in the spotlight and I'm going to go like, what now? How do I even respond to that?
for all of that, I'd like to just bring back here to verse chapter 4, verse 13 in Romans. <clears throat> because we're going to blow up faith a little bit more. For the promise that he would be the heir to the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So we said, there's nowhere in scripture where God explicitly promises that Abraham will inherit the earth. The promised land, yes, but not the earth. But if it is true that Abraham is representative of Messiah, of one man on the earth. And the promise is made to Messiah, then it is true. Because we do know that there will be a dispensation of peace, also known as the thousand year reign, when Messiah will inherit the earth, him and his seed. Okay, so confirming again that Abraham is then representative of Messiah. But why is this important? Because it says the promise was not made to, to him and his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And it says that Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness. But now, if Abraham is a representative of Messiah, then it means that the faith that Abraham has is also must be the faith of Messiah. So think about this. The father has to make known to the son his entire plan from the beginning to the end. He's going to, he will have to show him, he will have to explain to him that the plan is for him to die, be resurrected, have many seed that come from him that will be made one with him again in the end and that they will all be resurrected together in the new city in resurrection and in glory okay the son so this is faith the son then responds to the father and goes yes i'll do it i agree i'll do it i'll become the plan and righteousness, all righteousness, apart from the law, is imputed to the Son. Okay. But now, if we bring it back, and Abraham is the representative of Messiah, then it means that the, the revelation that Abraham had cannot be anything different, because he is representative of Messiah. So he cannot have another faith. So he needs to be looking at the same plan, at the same resurrection. And he always explains it as Abraham. Remember, God shows Abraham all his descendants. So he is looking at his descendants, but what? Is he looking at them on earth while they live on earth? No, that would take forever. He is looking at the new Jerusalem. He's looking at the city and he is seeing all of his descendants in the city in resurrection for all eternity together as one. Now, for him to be able to see that and understand that, it must mean that he must understand the rest of the plan, because otherwise, what would that mean? Nothing. He can only respond to that if he understands why it's true and how, how it got there. Okay, so we're just saying again, it's the same faith, but it's not you have a revelation and you have a revelation and that guy has a revelation. It's 
one revelation. It's the son's revelation. It's the son's faith and it's his righteousness. Now take us to... Yes. Only those, Only ones. those and ones. And then explain the grace part. Okay. So we don't have enough time to do the whole chapter 3 of Galatians. But we're just going to unpack and nicely wrap this part of it. Okay, uh, chapter 3 from verse... I'm going to read from verse 6 to verse 9, then we're going to skip to the end, then we're going to tie it together. Okay. Galatians. I don't know if I said that. Okay. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Now let's skip to verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Messiah Yoshua. For as many of you as were baptized into Messiah have put on Messiah. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Messiah Yoshua. And if you are Messiahs, then you are Abraham's seed and is according to the promise. Okay. So if we look back to verse 7, it says, the, uh, chap, yeah, chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And we know that when we read through, especially Romans now, because... We are doing a study of Romans. Um, we might look at a verse like this or a statement like this and think or understand it as, oh, see, if I respond in faith, then I become a seed of Abraham. That means I'm a seed of Abraham. So that means I'm like one of the good ones because I responded in faith. But if we look at what it says in the end first and then work our way back, it says, for you are all sons of God, through faith in Messiah, Yeshua. And then verse 29 says, And if you are Messiahs, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And then verse 7 says, Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. So we're going to do it a different way around. Those who are of faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Those who are of the substance of things hoped for, those who are of the evidence of things not seen. These are sons of Abraham. So we might think, where can I write this? Here. Here. We might think, oh, okay, yes. So here, I'm responding to the finished work where all of us are. So, I'm responding in faith, which means oh, I'm a seed of Abraham, not I'm there. But in actual fact, this says only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. So, in actual fact, it's coming from this way. Because I am part of this, because I am of faith, think of it rather as a destination. Because I am from the finished work. What's the square? What do we call the square? 
Who oh. knows? What's the square? The city, the city. New the Jerusalem. Is as great as its width, as great as its breadth. So instead of calling it New Jerusalem, let's just call the city faith. The place, the reality, the end destination faith. Now, we'll explain that again. Only okay. those. So only those who are of faith, only those who are of the finished work, only those who are a part of the finished work, only these are sons of Abraham. And now it creates a brilliant, beautiful cycle because we started off the study of Romans with election, with the seed. And now we see that being pulled through because it says that only those who are a part of the finished work, only these are the ones that are going to respond in faith because they are a part of the finished work so they can behold the finished work, which means that they will come back and be manifested as the sons of Abraham. So there's a certain number of people that's going to live over the course of time and they all are confined as being those that are in the New Jerusalem, so within the walls. But outside, there's also another group of people. Okay, and they, they are all grouped together and they are not New Jerusalem. Will this group of people ever be able to accept election as a truth? Predestination. No. Unable. Why? Because they're not in there already. So they have to reject it. You can preach the gospel to them 10 million times. They cannot accept it because if they're not in there, they have no choice. They have to accept another truth. Why is this important? Because it's the way that we're going to... It opens up a new avenue for understanding God's ways, understanding who I am, how I am to respond, how everything works. You cannot learn any of the things in the Bible unless this is in place. Otherwise, we'll learn the Bible according to these guys. Which has been happening to most people. They are far more numerous than us. Okay, that's it. Yeah, are you next happy week, with yes. that explanation? Next week we'll unpack more of Galatians, hopefully. That thing, only the, those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. Did we have a, is it, does it have a new meaning? Yes. Yes. yes, yes, this is the end. So just again, verse 29 says, And if you are messiahs, if you are messiahs, then you are Abraham's seed. Then you are Abraham's seed and is according to the promise. Okay, so the conclusion is, he's not going to impute sin to you. He is going to, by his spirit, lead you to, to choose to walk out his will. And we can resist the spirit.